0: You know, what I want to know is is how, how does one get involved in doing rock work as a woman? Do you really, really want to know? Or do you just want the rehearsed response that I always give? What would happen? if we chose to really tell the truth about ourselves. Like if we really, really just told the real truth of our lives. I'm not saying that it's true. I'm saying that it's my truth. You're listening to Hammered. Playing basketball and playing all the sports, lettering in five sports, and, you know, here's the thing. I didn't really even like sports that much. I was good at them, and I played them in the neighborhood, and I could I could fucking play football like a boy. I knew how to, like, call out quarterback's you know, demands down sir, huh. I mean, I could do all that because I'd watched enough of it on TV. you know I could imitate things, and my dad took took me and signed me up for basketball when I was like in the third grade, and when we got there, I was bigger in structure than the other kids, and I was eight years old and they said, well, you know, she's pretty big. Why don't we put her on this older group of girls' team? And and I got put on the, um, I think it was the twelve-year-old girls' team. And and these girls, man, they were already like, you know, pre-teens. And I remember them like using Nair hair remover, and they would slap it around in the locker room, and it was real weird. And they were, you know, already shaving their legs and cussing and. I just I wasn't emotionally ready for them. Uh, And that seemed to be kind of a, a beginning of a trend of being sort of the youngest and kind of getting thrown into situations where there were people a little bit older and a little bit more experienced and a little more rough around the edges and just kind of going with it like, okay, well, this is, I guess, what you do. And I got into sports early on, and I was painfully shy. I was so shy. It was horrible. But the sporting thing carried me through high school and helped me create friendships and bonds with other kids, other girls, and I was able to get a few scholarships to get me to college. You know, just an all-American girl. When I took the job at the ice cream business, I didn't realize that it was a a seven-day-a-week job. And that was stressful. And to have any kind of social life at 19 years old or 20 years old was uh, really cramping my style. So the ice cream guys, with the exception of Regina... Um, were starting to become my, my social life. And I got a little more comfortable on my routes and the money started to come in a little bit. And, you know, I would, on this commercial route, I started thinking, you know, these adults have more money than kids. And how can I take advantage of that? How can I work this in a way to really, uh, to bring in more cash? And so, one day I saw that Honda had a uh, a warehouse and a building, and I, I figured it out that their break time was 2.15, and I backed up to that loading dock and just rang the hell out of the bell, and all these people came out, and they looked kind of puzzled, and they started buying ice cream. Well, each day it would increase, and I wore my Levi shorts and my cut off shirt, you know, and I was kind of a looker back then for guys and girls. So, hey, I, I had both worlds coming at me and I, I could turn it on a little bit. And uh, I started making relationships with people and I started realizing that this is not about the damn ice cream. This is about uh, connection and contact and you know, and I, I'd ask people questions and compliment and I started having to learn how to like, you know, get out of my shell and get out of this like transfixed uh self-consciousness that I always had, and I remember this one group uh, at this, it was a screen printing company, and this whole group of gay girls came out. You know, they were probably about the same age as me, and maybe one was a little older who was kind of like their supervisor or whatever, but uh, they they kind of giggled and and would were kind of talkative and there was this one that would kind of stand in the background and she reminded me of uh that lead singer in journey, Stephen Perry. She had kind of a pointed face and uh real real shy, you know real real weird and withdrawn and and of course, you know, I always feel sorry for the underdog, so I would try to make conversation with her and and she would shy away and get her ice cream and run and they'd run back in and and so I was starting to meet different people and kind of you know I was getting the regulars and uh and I think that was important so if I had the regulars and I created this base you know this this core group that would buy every day then I would you know hopefully they would tell their friends and 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 I could network it to to create more more business and so um, and then, of course, when I would hit the residentials, then I would start getting the kids a little more used to me and and you know their their little faces, you know, you could read kids' uh, energy by their little faces and their expressions and I could see little smiles starting to come through and I would be silly and I I could be silly around the kids. I couldn't be as silly around adults, but I just started, you know, being silly with them. And and I remember that song, you know, uh, Mickey, and I would turn into this one uh the one trailer park and I had a boom box in the floor. I'd finally gotten some music because there was no radio in there and and I remember turning it up and I turned up the tape, you know, oh Mickey see you're so fine, you're so fine, you blow my mind. Hey Mickey. Hey Mickey Well I would play the bell. I would ring the bell to this tune. Doom 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 doom. Doo, 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 doo. Hey Mickey and the kids would just laugh their heads off. Well, then they started, do the Mickey Mouse. They called it the Mickey Mouse, which is not Mickey Mouse, but they would scream, do the Mickey Mouse. And I would sing it and play it. And so I started getting these little, you know, fun things happening that would that would attract them even more. And of course, you know, there wasn't a whole lot more money, but then the parents started coming out, you know, and, and they started talking to me and then by Liberty Heights, Lord, I was becoming the therapist for some of these mamas and daddies. And, you know, I'd make my way through Well, this one particular night, you know, I'd get to that last house and those two little girls and I would just, there's something about those little girls that would just break my heart. Well, this one night I'm coming up through there. And I shined those lights, and they were always last, and I, I felt so bad because they were always last, And but they would wait, and they were both uh, standing there, and the one little girl, the older girl, she had this Schlitz tall boy in her hand, and I was like, what is she doing? And when I pulled up, she said, my daddy asked if we could give you this to give us ice cream. And I said, Oh, okay. Like a trade. And she said, yeah. And I said, okay. And so I let them pick out what they wanted. And I took the the tall boy and of course I popped it open and it was my last uh, house and I drank it on the way back to the shop. And so this uh, started a routine and You know, then all of a sudden, you know, you'd have a dad come out there and he'd have a joint like over his ear, like kind of tucked under in his ear. And he would say, uh, hey, do you ever you ever trade? And then he'd kind of take his finger and point up to his ear like I'm fucking stupid. I don't see it. And he would trade me a joint for. You know his kids to get an ice cream, so I was starting to like you know rack up on a few various novelties for myself, and uh, and then I would get back to the shop, and then there would be all the all the misfits, and I remember this one night uh, they said, hey, you want to go down to the Holiday Inn lounge? And I'm like, ooh, really? And of course I said yes, and we went down to the Holiday Inn lounge and. There I am in the booth with these guys. Now, this is new to me because I was not a guy, girl. I had always been around the girls. And I'd been in sports. I'd been on teams. You know, I'd been around uh, mostly gay girls and and just kind of never had the exposure to men like this, young men. And, uh, and they really liked me for some reason and nobody knew I was gay. I never talked about that. Back then you didn't talk about that stuff. That was just something you just keep on the low down and that's a whole nother life. But I remember sitting in that low candlelight and listening to these guys talk and, and, uh, and I remember thinking, you know, maybe I'll just, maybe I'll just go straight. Maybe I'll just be straight and, uh, and maybe one of them will like me, and then I, I won't have to have this this taboo lifestyle that I have. Maybe it can just disappear, and and I'll just uh, change all of that, and I'll be straight, and have a, a boyfriend, and, and be regular, and my parents will like me. And so, it was. Uh, it became a nightly thing for us to to go somewhere, and I remember a place called the Rusty Nail and and Dudley's. Oh God, and biker bars, and and this one weird place we went had telephones on every on every table, and it was kind of a seedy, dark kind of weird place, and you could call other tables. On the phone and talk to them. And, and it was kind of a, a way to, I guess, meet people or pick up people. It was kind of fucked up. But anyway, I just was there for the ride. And I just, you know, I was trying to understand uh, how I was going to make a living. and And this seemed like a joke. You know, the whole thing seemed like a joke. And I remember coming in one night and instead of Chris behind the the window this time it was this guy and his name was Don and he had a thin mustache and he was kind of kind of greasy you know and he was kind of good looking but he had a, a weird body like a tight his clothes were tight he had one of those kind of guys bodies that he probably never worked out but he always had a a good body a good a good physique and but now that he was in his thirties, you know it was it was kind of like he, his clothes were getting tight and his and his uh he was probably real soft, he probably didn't have much muscle, but he still kind of was dressing like he probably did in high school, and he had these big pores like he had some acne scars and um he just kind of had a way, and he his hair was parted in the middle, and he'd shake his head back. You know, he always had this habit. You know, in the 70s, wings were real popular with hairstyles, and he'd run his fingers through his hair and then shake his head. And he had a real arrogant way about him. And I'm like, who's that guy? And they're like, oh, that's Don. He's the branch manager you know, the branch manager. And I'm like, Oh, he must be, you know, a boss. So I, I was kind of quiet around him and he'd take my money and shake it in there and, you know, count it out. And then he'd always stand there real, uh, official and count the way he counted your money back and handed it to you. Like, here's your part. And he'd say, ah, so that's pretty good. I guess that's, you know, room for improvement. That's pretty good. And, I always felt like, you know, I never did a, well enough in his eyes, and uh, and so then I would kind of watch him and how when Regina would come in, he would kind of flirt with her, you know, and and she'd kind of flirt back, and I was like, ooh, I thought, is she gonna like him? Like, gross. But, you know, like I said, there was something about him. He was like, I guess he would be the epitome of like a bad boy, which always makes me want to throw up. Like, I just never, ever understood women that went after like these wormy, slimy, Bad boy types, kind of like Sharon Stone and Casino and James Wood, you know, she always kept him on the back burner, even though she was married or was with Robert de Niro. She had James Wood always bailing him out and helping him because that was where her heart was, you know and 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 I guess it was like one of these like, Dysfunctional um, attractions, you know, where if you've got the abusive father, the alcoholic father, then you're attracted to some freaking wife beater type. I don't know, but all those things would go through my mind as I'd watch their um, their communication, and it was just such a uh, interesting um, microscopic tunnel into you know, a world that I I'd never seen. And, uh, and then I'd showed up and I'm there to get my ice cream loaded and out comes this really tall, big guy, looked like a big old football player. And his name was Greg. And I'm like, well, where's Black Greg? He goes, I'm the other freezer manager. They were co-freezer managers. Well, this guy, you know, he was big and like a big old bear, you know, and he had like a big uh, smile and he he looked like uh, John Elway, that quarterback on the Denver Broncos and cute, you know, kind of cute face and smiling and real friendly. And, and so he had a big coat on, which made him even bigger, but he would go in there and get the stuff. He goes, where's your route? And I told him and and he was uh, he was cheerful and and I liked him and I thought what is it about the freezer managers that makes them nice because some of the other people are real assholes but but they were uh, they were super nice and uh, once again you know he would always make sure I had everything and and then he started slipping me a box of you know fruity patooties or a high dollar uh, item and he'd say here's an extra three stage bomb pop, you know, and I would be like laughing because it would be like a, a free box, a free case. And I would add that to my inventory. And then I think, well that's pure profit because I didn't have to pay for that. And I'm not but you never paid for anything. You never, you know, they were they were fronting you this freezer up, you know, full of ice cream. Uh and and so I guess if you ever left the ice cream business, then you would have to cash out and pay them. I'm not sure what was going to happen, but, um, I would get it and go and be grateful for it. And, uh, and then I started realizing there were all these women on my commercial route that didn't, you know, they were, Oh, I better not. That's too fattening. That's, that's too much sugar. And, and, you know, there was no consciousness back then around uh, healthy eating, not really, um, you know, I mean, I guess if you ate a salad, that was like healthy eating, but, uh, Dole had come out with this, uh, hundred percent fruit bar and we had these samples one day and they were just Dole fruit bars, strawberry, pineapple, and they were killer. They were really good. Well, I sold out of those immediately and they were $2 a piece. Lord, honey, that's a high dollar item. And the women bought them. And so I started scrounging through grocery stores because these were only samples that we got and they weren't going to carry them in our company. Uh, I think the price point was too high. So I found these things in grocery stores and they were smaller. They were a smaller size, but I went ahead and and stuck my neck out and bought me a case of those and as a prototype to see if I could sell them, why I'd sell out of them. So then I started buying them more and more. I'd clean out the grocery stores and and throw them in my truck and I'd mark them up to like four dollars a piece. And that way I started making profit on those. And then the women, the word of mouth traveled. She's got diet ice cream. Diet ice cream. It was pure fucking sugar, but the thing is, is there was no fat. And so the no, you know, it was kind of this pre no fat um, item that, uh, really made a statement. Well, once I got the women out there, see, then, and I got to meet them and, and talk to them. And then, you know, it was a, it was a connection and, and then the connection would be another connection. And, and then one day I come by and there was this really beautiful African-American woman. And she'd been buying an ice cream for me every day. And she was one of the last people on the commercial route, right around four. And this one day, she said, hold on a minute. I'm going to see if my husband wants something. And she turns around and she goes, Hank, do you want ice cream? And this man, this this African-American handsome looking man comes walking up and he's wearing a suit. And it was Hank Aaron. It was fucking Henry Aaron. 744, home run king. My, my jaw dropped. And he smiled at me and he looked at the menu board and he goes, yeah, uh, I think I'll take an Eskimo pie. And I was shaken and I thought, oh my God, you know, and I wanted so bad, I wanted so bad to say, I had your Louisville slugger baseball bat with your signature carved on it. I, I watched you hit those home runs. I, I used to come my daddy had a had a, a picture of you from the gas station, uh and they used to pure oil gas station used to give away portraits of, of you and Joe Torrey and Orlando Cepeda and I had all the I collected those. I wanted to say all the this stuff and I could not say a word. I was frozen i was i was i was just stuck and so I got the eskimo pie and and I handed out the window and and he smiled at me and i and I smiled at him and i and I wanted his autograph i just wanted to i wanted to know him I wanted to know him i wanted to i wanted to talk to him and uh and they walked away and I sat down in my seat and I had to get my breath, you know, and it was it just took me by surprise, and I'd never in my life met anybody that was, like, important and had done something that was, that was larger than life, and it just blew my mind. And I thought, I really am starting to like this job. Hammered is recorded and produced in the Blue Ridge Mountains of Asheville, North Carolina. It's narrated by Jill Haney, produced by Maggie Briggs and Jill Haney, and with sound design, editing, and music by Alexander Rodriguez. Our beautiful artwork was created by Lauren Caddick, and we'd like to send a special thanks out there to Minnie and Robin. You can check out our website, podcasthammered.com, and follow us on social media for updates.